2: Blue wire What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. Jack, how are we doing? The Nets. Uh, they won. They did. They did win the game. It took an overtime against the Pelicans, but they did it. It was not an enjoyable uh, matchup, but we'll dive into that. As always, though, a quick reminder, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, otgbasketball.com, Nets Republic, and Blue Wire. But, Jack, it hurt their eyes to watch this.
3: (laughs) Yeah, you called it the least fun game of the season when we were chatting beforehand, Nick. What made it so unwatchable?
2: It was just somewhat cringy. You know, the Nets came out in terms of like a meh offense, and then – you know, the Pelicans had a stretch where they missed like 16 to 20 straight field goals and they still were able to come back in the game. It just was like all over the place and you really didn't know what to expect. You felt like the Pelicans were so desperate, but they couldn't hit any shots. They shot a terrible percentage, but the Nets were just good enough to beat them where they weren't like building up any leads. It all of a sudden be a two point lead and the Pelicans would lead again. It was just all over the place. And it was like, A stressful game essentially for no reason because you expect the Nets to beat a bad basketball team like the Pelicans. Yeah, they're better than their record, but they're still not a good team. And we saw more of their true colors in overtime.
3: Would you compare it to a cringy Netflix Christmas movie? Yeah. I would, I, compare, I mean, it was
2: just tough to watch it. You didn't enjoy it. You just wanted to get to the end of the game so you could see the outcome. And you knew that like almost nothing in the game essentially mattered until like the end of the fourth quarter or overtime because it just felt like it was going to be one of those games that was constantly back and forth. You know, the biggest lead for each team was seven points for the Nets, eight points for the Pelicans. There was 14 lead changes, but it just felt like the game was close the entire time.
3: Yeah, in the fourth and overtime, the Nets were able to outscore the Pelicans 47-37, to 37, so that's when they really put the foot on the pedal. I guess we should talk through, I guess, the final period and OT, Nick, and I guess talk me through the, the sort of key moments. I know Coach Kenny um, has been lauded for some of his ATO plays. Spencer did shot selection, not so much. Shot clock violations. Where do you want to start?
2: Yeah, uh, I'll start with Spencer and his his last shot in regulation. I just heard him kind of speak about it in the postgame. He mentioned his idea and his mindset was there was a two to three second differential with the shot clock. So he wanted to put up a long three. So essentially the only thing that could happen would be a tip or the Pelicans, you know, take a heave at half court and not drive into the paint because he felt like if he collapsed the paint, the Pelicans would be able to leak out. I mean, that thinking does make a little bit of a sense, but I still think you want to see a drive and attack the rim. Even maybe like one of those floater-type shots. I think that step-back three is just a tough shot to make in that situation. He probably was fouled, but they're not going to call it at that time of
3: the game. Yeah, I mean, it's he's a clever player. We I mean, know that he is a thinker of the game. And that I reasoning- think he
2: overthought it a little bit.
3: I think that you're making a very good point in terms of overthinking rather than just sort of playing instinctually, doing what you know, he got the nets on his back as he has you know, a lot of the time in the absence of Kyrie Ovi and Karol Savert. And, you know, it <laughs> was the offense, you know, by himself. And we know that the, the Pelicans aren't a, a great defensive team. When You know, with obviously, you know, we outscored them in the paint quite easily as well. So for Spencer to, to settle for that shot, it can be frustrating. But, you know, it's a make or miss league. And if you had to hit that shot, we would have been laughing all the way. And we would have loved it. But at least we took care of business in, in OT, Nick. What did you want to get to next? I know Coach Kenny again. Was it a shot clock violation I saw as well that last shot? Uh, Yeah, it was technically a shot clock violation,
2: but they played it live so they couldn't go back and review it. You know, New Orleans took the ball and they threw it down. The refs never blew the whistle, so nothing happened of it. It was kind of close in a sense where maybe you could have thought it went off the rim, but they didn't call it. I think uh, you mentioned, you know, they had a timeout play for Joe Harris that led to a three that essentially kind of sealed the game for the Nets. You know, Kenny was big in this game with a lot of the timeout calls, especially running plays afterwards, because they had such trouble getting the offense going. Some of it was just, you know, stagnation, but other some of the other things were just guys missing wide open shots. And, you know, some of the plays he set out of those timeouts were easy layups for guys to get that momentum going.
3: Yeah, I mean, he is doing some, some great things and I think he's really developed. A nice repertoire, a nice bag of tricks in terms of the ATOs. I know a lot of other coaches can can say the same thing, but and a lot of the time, Coach Kenny is looking for the same sort of shots, but they're still almost unguardable place when you have that time to to rearrange. And there's obviously, you know, you you look to get the ball in, into the guy's hands that you want. And Joe Harris is always going to make those shots. Joe Harris is the most clutch player in the, <laughs> the game. We know that already uh, more than any other. But Joey Buckets came up big late as well, Nick.
2: Yeah, Harris hit some big shots in this game. Layups, hustle plays, and then obviously that three in overtime, you know, five and nine from deep. He had some really nice drives in this game. He also had, like, a couple isolation plays. There was one play, I recall, where he had, like, a little crossover and then shot a contested three, and then there was a little bit, like, it was almost a pull-up jumper. It was kind of a floater-type thing in the paint late in the game. So Joe was big. You know, he was definitely second-best net tonight behind Spencer. Yeah,
3: I'm going to be disappointed if, oh, well, right now, it's a dead heat in the poll that I put up in between Spencer doing and Joe Harris, and Jared no, Allen Uh, Maybe. And then i got other people wanting me to do David Nuova. So I'm going to have uh, my work cut out for me after this podcast. Let's just say that. Nick, how did the OT go? Was it just the Nets' momentum took them over? Was it a a bit of a slug? How did the Nets outscore them 15-8? to
2: You know, the Nets were just kind of on top of it. You felt the momentum in the fourth quarter. Like, the Nets knew they needed to play a good fourth quarter to have a chance. They didn't play great defensively in the fourth, but offensively kind of saw them pick it up. And then you knew, like... New Orleans is on a losing streak. They're on a 12-game losing streak. Now I believe it's 13. They were just going to make plays to lose the game, and that's kind of what happened. You know, they had opportunities to maybe come back or tie it. They had a couple turnovers or just missed shots or just bad opportunities, and it kind of just speaks to their season.
3: Yeah, I mean, obviously, and we'll speak a little bit about Nets trade stuff, but the, the Pelicans have been in plenty of rumors themselves. Let's dive into some of the players, Nick, and we'll get with the starters. Uh, Jared Allen had another another double-double, though, you know, at the early points of the game, until late, he wasn't taking many shots.
2: Yeah, it was a weird game for Jared Allen because I felt like in stretches he was extremely good, especially early on. He had four blocks in that first quarter on Brandon Ingram, then he had a couple later in the game, and he was really protecting the rim, You know, he did a solid job rebounding. I think in this game what happened was Allen was doing a great job protecting the rim, and no one really had his back on the boards. So, you know, he'd go and get the rejection or whatever it may be. Jackson Hayes or Derek Favors or another Pelican would come in and grab the board. So it kind of looks worse on Jared in terms of the rebounding front on, you know, the team stats. But I think a lot of it was the team not backing him up because he had to do so much rim protection tonight. And then offensively, you mentioned, you know, he wasn't really impactful on that. I think that goes to the New Orleans defense on some of the guys they have. I know they're not having a great defensive season, but still a couple of heady guys. And Drew Holiday and Lonzo Ball, who did a great job of kind of sitting on a couple of his roles.
3: Yeah, three turnovers for him as well. Was there a reason why that happened? Did he just you know, give mm-hmm. the ball away? Was
2: Nothing particular that really stuck out that it was like, oh, this is a real issue. I think most of the turnovers were, you know, he got the ball into the hoop where he got an offensive rebound and they swiped at it or something like that.
3: I mean, it's weird overall for the Nets to have less than 15 turnovers. I think they only had like 11 or 12. So for that to be a, a thing, or 11, sorry, for that to be a thing, I guess, were the Nets a bit more conservative tonight? Was that ball fizzing around?
2: I wouldn't say the ball movement was great. I think the Pelicans did a good job of kind of slowing them down and making things difficult. The Pelicans did look desperate tonight. They did look like a team that really wanted to win offensively. They just couldn't make a shot. But defensively, this is one of their better performances of the season, at least of what I've seen. I haven't watched every Pelicans game, but I've seen a few. And this is probably one of their better defensive levels.
3: Yeah, funnily enough, I was lucky enough to see the New Orleans Pelicans and Brandon Ingram drop that 40. That was almost one of his coming out games last time uh, I was at Barkley. That was the last game I did saw. And, and we obviously saw Kyrie at that point in time. But Nick, we'll get to some of the, the lesser performers and Antoine Prince and Garrett Temple. There were some people calling for David Nwab and Wilson Chandler to be out there in, in recent stretches. Why was that? Obviously, they weren't shooting well from the field.
2: Yeah, Torian Prince had probably one of his worst shooting games. And you could tell he wasn't confident because he was passing up open looks. I thought he did a solid job on Brandon Ingram. You know, there was a couple lapses out there. But overall, I thought he disrupted him. You know, 11 rebounds is nice. uh, Garrett Temple, you know, another struggle in terms of shooting. He just was out of it. He hit his first shot. And then I don't think he had another shot into the fourth quarter or overtime. So he was just out of sync. And it wasn't one of his best games. But, you know, these guys have kind of overperformed over the last month. So they were due for a stinker.
3: Yeah, and it's it, it still to have it, to have them contributing in other ways, like we sort of mentioned, and Prince, like on the Woj Pod. You know, he was mentioned to him by the the Nets brass that they wanted him to focus on his rebounding, and that's one thing that he's always been doing extremely well all season. Not hitting the shots, but you know, I saw back him and Garrett Temple similarly. You know, two of 14 from the field, one of six from three. But he did have five assists, five rebounds. So, you know, obviously he's going to spend time with the second unit. It was the only negative and plus minors when it came to those starters. But, you know, they're still doing some okay things. But at the end of the day, what made, I guess, a lot of the fans want David Nwabra? I mean, I don't need to ask why people want David Nwabra out there. But what about Wilson Chandler as well? He seemed to hit a couple of shots, hit a three, seven points, a uh, c- couple of assists as well and rebounded the ball well. Were they the two best performers off the bench?
2: Yeah, definitely David Nawaba. You know, Wilson Chandler had a couple stretches where he looked rusty. He got called for uh, two fouls in the same possession and then another foul in the next possession. Some of them were, you know, ticky-tacky, but that's just going to happen to you, especially when you haven't played basketball in so long. But I liked his offense. He had a couple, I want to say, two nice drives, and he hit a three in this game. So overall, I thought Wilson Chandler was solid. Nawaba just did his thing again. Defensively, you feel his impact, but offensively, driving to the rim, he just provides you energy and aggression.
3: Two or three from three. We're getting that boy in the three-point contest. We've got the two nets in the three-point contest. He has year. a
2: spot on the floor too. I haven't seen a shot chart, but like right on the wing, he likes to shoot from there.
3: Yeah, I, I know the spot that you're talking about as well. And, you know, mechanically it doesn't, it's it's never flush. It's never like a swish bomb like it is with like a Clay Thompson or a Stephen Curry, but it goes in the net and, you know, he gets the job done and he's confident and he's taking it and he's hitting it. So that's all you can necessarily ask for. But the energy from David Nwabra, I'm assuming, was at an incredibly high level.
2: Yeah, and you like the defense too. You know, he, you threw him on Drew a couple times. You threw him on Ingram. He's just a guy out there that can disrupt the other team and make life difficult. And that's something the Nets don't have in bunches
3: on the squad. Are you surprised by the consistency that was seen from, from this guy at this stage, Nick?
2: Uh, in terms of the minutes or his actual play? A bit of both. Uh, I'm kind of surprised about the minutes, to be honest, because it was all over the place. And you think, Kenny, like, why didn't you just stick with this guy early? Maybe he's doing something different in practice, or he kind of changes game up a little bit. But his level of consistency is somewhat impressive. You know, a player who was signed for a minimum, kind of bounced around the league the last couple of years, you would think it'd be a little bit tougher for him. But I think a lot of it is knocking down the three-point shot. That's always been the big issue for him. He's always been a solid defender. And he's always been aggressive attacking the rim. But the problem has always been no spacing and no three-point shot.
3: Yeah, I mean, that three ball is certainly incredibly important when it comes to the Brooklyn Nets offense. Nick, TLC seems to have usurped Jana Musa at least of late in the rotation. Do you agree with that?
2: I'm all for it. I like it. He looks like an NBA player. He just fits a nice complementary role, and you could see him getting better. Like, I just can see potential in him, and I think he's, you know, appreciating the minutes, and I like his defense and the energy he provides, and he's kind of just slippery out there. Like he's good at getting to the rim, slipping through screens. I'm all for him kind of taking Moose's minutes for the rest of the season, to
3: be honest. Please tell me you saw my video breakdown. I did not. I did oh, not. Oh come on! <laughs> We've got. My I worked. Conference. I worked today.
2: I worked today, so I was busy all day today. <laughs>
3: it's like six ten-second videos of like a play of the. No, I'm. I'm joking. I'm, I'm. I'm. I'm ribbing you, my friend. But I, from what I've seen from him so far, I, I think he's comfortable. He's a lot yes. more comfortable, and he. He just feels, and it's a lot smarter than, than Musa. And he just knows how to make the right plays at the right times. He has more experience and obviously he's, he's had his uh, his time at OKC. He's had his time in Philadelphia and he just knows he's playing his role and he's contributing and he's providing in a way that, you know, as a role player, you need to be able to adjust to and TLC just needs, you know, hit a few shots here and there, you know, Be aggressive. Uh, Be comfortable with the ball in his hand. I know we mentioned on the show when we were talking about the Philadelphia 76ers uh, win the the drive on on Tybal was probably one of his best plays that he's had you know since he's been cracked that rotation you know I'm all for the Timothy Lual Kabaroe minutes even if I did tag Timothy Chalamet the the famous <laughs> Hollywood actor when I was doing that so sorry to everyone that did see that out there but I I I, I just tried to, to to find his Twitter handle and I couldn't find it but uh, thankfully some people did still uh, consume that content but. I'm really liking what he's doing as well, Nick. But uh, I guess we'll, we'll get to DeAndre Jordan and Theo Pinson. And Theo Pinson only 10 minutes, thinks over 4 from the field, didn't contribute at all to the box score other than a <laughs> personal foul.
2: Yeah, it felt like that too. I mean, it, it's rough for Theo because you want him to succeed. You know, you see the energy and the positivity he brings to the team, and you want him to play well. And he's just struggling. You know, it's forcing it. It's missing wide open threes. I mean, the only thing he can really hang his hat on is I think defensively he's been solid. But other than that, it's just like, he's just not ready for this. I don't know if he'll ever be, you know, ready for it.
3: Do you, I'll I'll bring up the question again. Do you regret the decision from Iman Shumpert being waived over Theo Pinson?
2: Uh, It's tough to say. I mean, I can see why, you know, Sean elected to cut Shumpert because, you know, Theo went into the season with the team. He brings that positivity to the bench. You know, Schumper was a the guy they added. His skill set is somewhat similar to, uh, you know, David Nwaba. And I think the thing with Theo Pinson, as bad as he is, he's still, you know, a solid ball handler. And they really don't have one on the roster because it'd be Garrett Temple running that second unit. And he's okay, but it's not like you're feeling amazing about it either. So I think Theo Pinson's just almost here by
3: necessity. Yeah, I think Garrett Taylor's being forced to do a ridiculous amount already. He's, uh, I mean, uh, if I go to Basketball Reference, I would say he's t- he's first or second in, in minutes played so far this season, especially you know in the absence of of Kyrie and Karras. he's been forced to step up and do a lot, and it's starting to sort of you can, you can sort of see it. You know, we were sort of talking about earlier that he doesn't look thirty three in the way he's playing. You're starting to see his age a little bit in terms of you know he's being he playing thirty nine minutes tonight in an OT game. You know, there wouldn't be many occasions over the past maybe five seasons of his career we would play 39 minutes plus but you know he's still contributing in in some ways but nick we get to deandre jordan deandre jordan didn't seem to necessarily have that big of an effect on the game
2: yeah i don't think he had a bad game i don't think he had an amazing game i like the physicality he brought down low you know jackson hayes was extremely active deandre wasn't ready for that early on but he started to kind of body him up later in the game then you also like the five assists you know finding guys and setting things up for that second unit you know hitting the guys on a couple cuts
3: yeah, I mean, it's we're sort of being, being more pleased, being more comfortable with these quote-unquote lesser performances from DJ. And if these are the lesser performances, I'm more than happy with that because he's still providing physicality. He's still got the best pregame handshakes of anyone in the NBA. I think just as a mini hot take... The pregame handshakes that he has with all the guys now are replacing the Russell Westbrook and Cameron Payne dance parties from yesterday. I'm a big fan of the fro, him just combing it. Like the other day when he got the air horn to like give a hairspray it was hilarious.
2: Yeah, I like them. They're quicker, you know, and there's a variety because you have all the different players, you know. I also be intrigued if somebody else has to start how he changes up for that player.
3: Yeah, I mean, when Kyrie and Caris are back, uh, I'm hoping he's got some some more handshake tricks up his bag. But Nick, look at some trade talk, you told me that Nets Twitter almost broke with some trade talk. I've been asleep. You know, I'm on <laughs> the other side of the bloody world. I tried to find some of it, going through the different timelines. What's going on? What are the what do the Nets fans want? What do we not want? What's going on?
2: Everybody wants everything, Jack.
3: <laughs> Always. <laughs> W, w. I,
2: you know, we just saw a couple of rumors break today. Obviously Robert Covington might be available Nets fans are talking about that and a possible Karis Levert, Robert Covington swap. That was the main talk of today. You know, there were some other mentions about moving Levert and other deals or looking to grab, you know, Davis Bertons or other names out there. But at the end of the day, we've kind of discussed this a lot in the buzz. You know, the Nets probably aren't going to make any big moves this season because they don't know what the team's going to look like without KD. Also, the movable contracts they have are very, very
3: little. Yeah, I think in that sort of sense, I like uh, I like Robert Comington as a player. I love Davis Bertans. You know, I obviously speak about him. I think I spoke about him the last three weeks on the on JVT with Nick Busing because he's just so fun to talk about and so fun to watch. And having him and Joe Harris on the same team, uh, I might explode just from watching the, the three-point shooting that both of those guys have. But, and Robert comments that obviously is a, a perfect role player as a complementary sort of piece, you know, when you're talking about superstars. You know, I think that the Sixers would love to have him back in, a, in an absolute heartbeat. But again, you know, in terms of what other teams can offer, I think it's a, it's a lot greater. And, you know, I don't think the Nets, we spoke about it when it comes to trade pieces relating to Carol Savert. We spoke about it in relation to Bradley Beal. I think that the Nets would rather go in on a third star than, than get a, just another complementary sort of role piece. And for me, Bradley Beale's not available, I'm not saying to trade Kyle Severtnik I'm not saying to trade Toyin Prince. I'm just saying I would love Drew Holiday. Imagine a backcourt of Drew Holiday and Kyrie Irving.
2: Yeah, no, I think it's definitely intriguing. And I agree about the fact with the Robert Covington thing. I think if you're going to make a trade, you're going to make a trade for a star type player. I think I would really want to move the needle for a Bradley Beal type. I just think offensively, he brings so much pop and that off-ball shooting would be incredible. If you had a lineup of, you know, Kyrie, Bradley Beal and Kevin Durant, that's offensively really Man. hard to stop that's like a to an extent you know it's not to the dynasty level but it's like a golden state light
3: yeah it certainly is and and for me why i love drew Holiday, I him when he called him you know the best on-ball defender in the league is that he complements Kyrie irving perfectly carol LeVert does as well but he hasn't shown us the defensive prowess that we've necessarily wanted from him at this early stage and hopefully you know when both of those guys are back they can mesh perfectly. Spencer can do his thing as well. And all, we don't even need to think about even, even trade talks. But it's trade speculation season. It's almost Christmas. We all want that trade gift. We all want to make the Brooklyn Nets better. But we're at a good point where we are now. And hopefully the, the gifts that we get soon rather than later are the returns about two stars.
2: Yeah. Honestly, you know, you're getting, you know, one... One of the best point guards in the NBA and then possibly a guy who was coming to the season as a fringe all-star if he could take that jump. But I want to touch on Spencer real quick because you brought up the comment of Drew being one of the best on-ball defenders. I thought Dinwiddie did an incredible job tonight with Drew on him. Majority of the time when Drew wasn't on him, it was a lot of Lonzo ball. Then when it wasn't Lonzo or Drew, it was a lot of double teams. So able to navigate through that and still score 31 points and come away with a victory It's just like he keeps getting better and better and taking his game. And I mentioned he kind of overthought that. But you can see him processing things out there and how he gets better, kind of just understanding the feel of the game and how teams are going to react to him.
3: I'll ask you again, Nick. Is he an all-star yet?
2: Yeah, no, he's an all-star now. When you asked me like three weeks ago, the sample size wasn't big enough. Yeah, it
3: wasn't three weeks ago. It was like three episodes, my guy. Don't don't make me go to the receipts. (laughs) Actually, yeah, you do edit the podcast. I should probably uh, go at you for that. Yeah, that's a good point.
2: Um, But, you know, I think just the scoring level and the wins. Like, if he was scoring these numbers and they weren't winning games, would I say an all-star? No. But the fact he's doing this and they're winning games, you know, tonight wasn't a quality opponent. But Philadelphia, even without Embiid quality, you know, we talked about Denver. We talked about Boston, you know, a couple weeks ago. So, I think Spence is really ascending to that level, and the longer Kyrie's out, the less likely Kyrie's going to be an All Star, and the more likely Spencer's going to take a spot.
3: Yeah, I still think obviously the All Star is all about the fan vote when it comes to the starters, and I think Kyrie Wink still is.
2: It's, lot- it's broken down though. I think you know you got like a majority fan, then you have um, coaches, and then you have players.
3: Yeah, I think that Spencer is probably in a a similar race with maybe like a Trey Young, you know, and obviously I think Bradley Beal deserves to be there. But there are, you know, some decent guards playing some good basketball right now. But I think Spencer did when he continues to uh, assert his credentials as as an all-star performer. You know, last year, I think I've mentioned on the pod before, that Shaq and Kenny both both wanted, no, Shaq and Charles, sorry, both thought he deserved to be in the All-Star game over De'Angelo Russell. And, you know, I didn't necessarily argue against that, but I think Spencer did when he has been absolutely awesome and is continuing to grow as a player and as a leader. And he just seems to, to ooze confidence. And he backs his own skill. He backs his what he is good at, even against some of the most elite defenders in the league, which is something that the superstars do.
2: Yeah, I think the confidence continues to grow. And I think for the All-Star breakdown, it's really going to come down to, you know, which teams are getting two players. You know, Philadelphia is probably going to get Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. Is Boston going to get two? Or are they going to get Kemba Walker and a Jalen Brown? Is Miami going to get two and a Jimmy Butler and a Bam? You know, then you think about Toronto. Siakam's pretty much a lock. Is Kyle Lowry going to sneak in there? Or the injury takes him out. And then Milwaukee, if they have the best record, you know, in the league or even the best record in the East, it's Giannis and who else is going to get in there too? So it's like... It really comes down to which teams are going to get two because I don't think, obviously, Spencer's not going to get a starting spot. It's going to be one of those reserve roles.
3: Hey, my guy, save those general NBA takes for the NBA outlet or (laughs) Jack. Come on, come on. on. This is a a Brooklyn Nets podcast, my friend. We're speaking about that. That is actually going to be a topic on the NBA outlet uh, tomorrow. (laughs) There you go. There you go.
2: Talking early All-Stars, you want to check that out on iTunes. But, Jack, anything else Nets-wise you want to jump into? Obviously, next game at San Antonio, I think it's an opportunity to kind of expand this into a winning streak.
3: Yeah, I mean, it'd certainly be giving good momentum heading into Christmas. And obviously, you want to bank these wins where you should be getting them. I'm obviously a big person who always looks at what the last performance from the last team was and San Antonio almost got the win against Houston. So I think they're going to be motivated to, to bounce back. Uh, I'm not necessarily overly confident with the way that the Nets played tonight. But in terms of on paper, I think the Brooklyn Nets are a better team than San Antonio Spurs. But I think in terms of, the coaching and, and and we always seem to struggle against these mid-range shooting teams as well, like Indiana and such. So I think that the um, because of our defensive schemes in terms of the drop scheme that we love to to implement with our bigs and such. So I'm I'm tentative, but tentatively confident as well in in some ways.
2: One thing I feel good about is I think the Nets are due for a big three-point shooting game. San Antonio, I don't think their defense has been amazing this year. They've had some really bad defensive performances. The Nets shot really bad from three tonight and a lot of open looks. I think it could translate into, you know, maybe a 40% shooting night from three instead of a 28% because eventually things have to balance out. You know, there's pl- they're shooting so bad they eventually have to shoot really well, especially with guys like Joe Harris, Torian Prince, even Spencer Dewey to an extent. He's not having a great shooting season, but we know he can get hot
3: yeah it's essentially if we have two two of our starters shooting hot it normally leads to a really high high level from the perimeter whether it's You know, Garrett Temple's got a a Flames night. Normally, Joe Harris is shooting above 50% or Torian Prince won't shoot above 50%. So hopefully we see a bounce back from Torian Prince. Joe Harris is going to shoot, you know, 100% from three like he will for the rest of his career. We all know that already. And Spencer Dillard, you know, he's had one from eight from three and hopefully he starts hitting a few of those sidesteps. But yeah, the the three-point shooting will certainly be important and and as always, you know, defensively. But, you know, I'm not... uh, I'm always pessimistic, Nick, but at this stage, to be 15 and 12 without your two best players for the large majority of the season, uh, we are going above our standards right now.
2: Yeah, and there's a real opportunity to, you know, like you said, we don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but there's an opportunity to win the next two, three games. You have the Spurs, you have the Hawks, you have the Knicks, and all of a sudden you're looking at 18 and 12. And then you're kind of looking at the rest of the Eastern Conference and all of a sudden you're only a game or two back from a spot you want to be in the playoff picture. You know, they're currently the seventh seed, but they're really not that far behind a team like the Pacers, or the Raptors, three and a half games and then four games behind a team like the Heat. So I think there's there's some real positives to look at from the Nets perspective in terms of the playoff picture. Obviously, we're still way far out from that. But being in this spot right now, you have to feel good. One at a
3: time, Nick. One at a
2: time. (laughs) Hopefully we're saying that, too, in terms of players returning.
3: Sure. Or, or both of them at the time. I wouldn't mind having yeah. Kyrie and Caris back at the same time. Not going to hate on that.
2: Do you? Th- would you feel any different about those? Or we have had no updates, so there's no gut checks or anything.
3: Absolutely not. I have no <laughs>
2: <laughs> anything to make of Kyrie not being on the trip and and Caris uh, being on the trip? Not from like a locker room or chemistry perspective, but just from who's going to return quicker.
3: Um. No. <laughs> I just, yeah, no like i don't think that there's anything that we can read because we we don't know anything other than what we've already heard and it's the same on same on when it comes to what we're communicated to from the Brooklyn nets organization
2: yeah this is a thought i had before i think you know Kyrie needs more treatment so it makes more sense for him to stay where Keris is just literally healing from a surgery there's not really much you can do to make it heal faster
3: yeah exactly
2: All right, Jack, that wraps it up. Hopefully next time we're talking about a win on a buzz. It's not this sloppy and this ugly, but we'll take it.
3: Anytime.
2: All right. Find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, otgbasketball.com, Nuts Republic, and Blue Wire Pods.
0: Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings. A four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.
1: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance.